You ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you're on your phone, you can just type that in. If you've got a paper Bible, it's going to be your first book of the New Testament. So the Old Testament ends, New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're beginning a new series called that Flip Your Feelings, I think is what I called it. I, I'm saying flip that feeling so much that I think I got confused myself. But it's a concept that I'll show you in Matthew 5, and I think in our culture today, where we are so driven by feelings. We started a Wednesday night class called Emotional Healthy Spirituality, and we've been addressing feelings. And I think this is so huge in our culture today because we're all being driven by our feelings, and we have to make sure that we don't just let those feelings do what they want instead of sitting back, grabbing them, and processing them through Scripture. And so Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse 1. And here's what we're reading. Let me set you up. Jesus is getting ready to preach what people call the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he has gone through the testing in the wilderness through Satan. Satan has tried to tempt him in the wilderness. He's now started his ministry. He's now realizing all that's about to happen. He, he's known, but it's real now. It started, it's all, you know, he, they're about to go through persecution. It's going to lead up to the crucifixion. Like, this ball's about to get rolling, and he understands this. And I believe that he thought about his disciples, and he thought about what they were going to go through and he made it a point to start his sermon with these verses. Now, these verses, we put them in a section, and we call them the Beatitudes. That word Beatitude means blessed, okay? So we're going to start reading at verse 1, and then we'll go through it. And I'm going to read through all of them, but each week in this series, I'm going to take one out, and we're going to really dig into that one. And my hope is that by the time this series is over, not only will you be blessed by it, but you will know the Beatitudes in a way where, let's be honest, you could almost uh, speak them from memory. So here we go, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, starts like this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. So again, he's seeing the crowds, he's about to start his ministry, and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. And here's what he told them. He said, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for then they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk to you for just a moment from this idea, I'll fix it myself. <laughs> I'll fix it myself. The reason why I thought it was so important to do a series about flipping our feelings is because if we're not careful, we can start to be led by our feelings and start to dictate our life based on our feelings. And we need to understand that feelings are fickle. I'll give you an example. Darla and I, we go to Cleveland, and whenever we do this particular trip every year, our goal is to get somewhere where we can walk everywhere we want to go. We don't, we don't want to do a lot of stuff and be real busy. We're trying to rest and recover. Our kids are not with us, so we're pouring into each other, and the idea is let's walk, let's Uber if we need to, but we're just going to kind of rest. And so our hotel was right near Lake Erie in Cleveland, Ohio. And so we walked down to Lake Erie, and we love the water. That's just one of the refreshing things for me. We get in this pedal boat where, if you've ever seen one of these, it has like two areas where you can sit, and I pedal and Darla pedals, and that's what moves the boat, right? 
So we get in it on a, in a little mar uh, marina area, and, and we start to come out, and we're getting into actual, you know, open Lake Erie, and there's boats, and there's lighthouses, and it's beautiful. And I'm, 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 in, I'm in my feelings in this moment because the sun's shining. It's a beautiful day. We've been on vacation for a couple days, so I've kind of unwound a little bit and, and disconnected. I'm feeling rested. The weather's beautiful. There's boats going by. Uh, you know, my wife's with me. It's just, it's just this great moment. I just have this feeling of peace. And I'm looking ahead of me, and there's like this stick in the water. You know what I mean? And I was like, is that a snake? And so I'm looking at it, and I go, babe, is that, a, is that a snake or is that a stick? And she goes, that's a stick. And the reason she said that is because all around us were other sticks. I mean, we could see them, right? And she's like, that's, that's a stick. And I'm like, oh, okay. And Darla goes back to being her, you know, God is great, you know, flowers grow everywhere type person. And she's just like, look at this. And I just kept my gaze on that stick because I'm like, I don't know if it's a stick, you know, and I care. And so I'm watching it, and all of a sudden, the stick goes underwater. Yes. And I was like, it's not a stick. It's not. A, that's exactly how I sounded. And so I hit it. I'm like, babe, babe, it's not a stick. It's a snake. And she's like, what? And I'm talking about this. When I saw it, it was about 20 feet away from us. I say that, and she's like, what? And I said, I promise, look, it's gone. And when I said, look, it came back up out the water, and it was like 10 feet closer to us. And it was coming right at us, y'all. And we're in this little stupid pedal boat. Like we're an inch out of the water. So if this thing wants to, it's coming up in my lap and just chilling. You know what I mean? So I'm like backpedaling as fast as I can. Y'all, I'm burning my legs just backpedaling. She is not even pedaling. Do you know what she has done? She got her phone out. So she could video the whole thing. All right, I'm putting it on Facebook today. You're going to see it. She, she's videoing. The snake is just swimming across. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. And she's like, oh, little buddy's not going to hurt us. And I'm like, little buddy is going to hurt us. It was a snake that took down the whole world. You know what I mean? Tell me he ain't going to hurt us. But it, what was so crazy about it is I went from like this feeling of peace to this feeling of like absolute fear in just a matter of seconds. Like, I was ready to be done. I'm like, the whole time, she's like, look at the sun. I'm like, is that a stick? You know, like, I was, I can't wait for that little punk to pop back up. You know what I mean? I can like, is he, is he like the Jason Statham of snakes? You know what I mean? Like, he's going to dip under and then bam, gotcha. You know, like, I don't know. And so I was like fearful the whole time. It didn't matter. It was like, I went from peaceful to fearful. And I tell you that because it's just an example of how fickle our feelings are. The fact that we can be feeling one way in a moment and with some event, some news, a text message, you know, we can have a moment where we learn new information and we're immediately feeling a different way. You can be feeling great and hear something and be feeling terrible, right? It's just, just a quick move. That's why we have to be careful not to let these feelings rule our lives. Listen to me. In and of themselves are not necessarily good or bad. For example, sadness can be both bad, but it can be good, right? Happiness can be both good and it can be bad. So feelings aren't necessarily good or bad, but they are unstable. And it's important for us to understand that they must be managed. They have to be managed. Although feelings are very strong, 
Although they're very demanding, we do not have to let them rule our lives. And this is what I think Jesus was, I think this is the reason why he started with the Beatitudes. Because again, put yourself in that situation. The disciples are about to experience persecution. They're about to go through loss, physical loss, emotional loss. They're already dealing with the whole religious concept. They're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. They've been raised up in religion, and now here comes Jesus with this grace message, and they don't really know. They think he's the savior of the world, and they're kind of trying to figure it out, and they're having to leave their family, and things are happening, miracles are happening, but then this is happening. And I think Jesus realized my disciples are about to go through, or or in the words of our culture today, they're about to be in their feelings. And I need to teach them now. I need to let them understand that they are responsible for being able to manage those feelings and that just because they feel it doesn't mean it's the way they have to be. And if you look at everything Jesus says in verses 1 through 10, it's all countercultural. Everything that he says is good, our culture says is bad. Our culture would teach us that if you feel this way, if you feel like this, if you're experiencing this, If you see yourself, if your perspective is this, then it's negative. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I need to flip that. And you need to understand that it's actually a blessing if you feel that way. Now, we have to explain why. Because on the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But as you dig into Christ's meaning, which is why we're taking a Sunday per one of these, because when you actually dig into it and you reveal it, you start to see not only is it counterculture, it's life-changing. Because a lot of us wake up every day waiting to see how we feel to decide if it's going to be a good day, right? Like we don't wake up going, this is going to be a good day despite how I feel. We wake up and go, how do I feel? You know, do I I feel like this? Do I I, I fight this battle every day, right? I wake up and there's these emotions and there are these feelings and I have to, and some days I lose and some days I win. Some days it's that concept where I fall right into it and it's pity, pity me. Some days I realize, what do I have to be upset about? I'm so blessed, right? It's a concept of being able to manage those feelings. One guy said a quote about feelings. His name was Jonathan Mastinson, Mark Martinson, sorry. And I love this quote. He said, feelings are like waves. You can't stop them from coming, but you do get to choose which ones to surf. How awesome is that? Like if you've ever been surfing, uh, I haven't, but I have a really friend who's claiming to take me. We'll see how that works. But, but if you've ever been surfing, that was a little punch to him. But if we've ever been surfing and this, been in the ocean and the idea of these waves, if you've ever been in the ocean, you're not stopping the waves from coming, right? They're coming. But we, we do, uh, what's the bodyboard thing we do in beach all the time? Boogie board? Boogie board. We'll be boogie boarding. And it's funny because with her dad and with Veda and Casey, we'll watch the waves and we'll be like, not this one, not this one. And they'd be like, oh, this is a good one. Ride this one. It's the same concept with feelings. You're going to feel them, but you don't have to ride every one of them. There's moments for us to go, is this God? Should I feel that? Do I have a right to feel this way? Or am I better than this? Am I blessed beyond this? I'm not going to surf this way, right? We get to choose. And Jesus is saying it in Matthew 5. He's saying, listen. Take every feeling, take every wave, and assess it to Scripture and ask yourself, should I feel this way? Or should I be blessed and happy because I'm in Christ Jesus? So this first one, this first one we're going to talk about today, 
and I'll share this more at the end, but I think it's the foundational one. I, I think in order for us to get all of the other ones, we have to get this one first. If we can't understand this one, and I'll see it by the time it's over, how it will have an impact on us being able to understand all of the other ones. We can't fully grasp the other ones if we don't first get this one. So Matthew 5, 3 says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor means nothing at all. Absolutely nothing at all. The message paraphrase, if you're familiar with this, it's translated this way. Blessed is the one who's at the end of their rope. That's the concept. Poor in spirit does not mean financial. It means at a point of exhaustion. It means empty. It means nothing at all. I'm at the end of my rope. Normally, when somebody says, I'm at the end of my rope, that usually means that they have come to, uh, to the end of themselves, okay? It means that they are out of hope. It means they're out of strength. When someone says, hey, I'm at the end of my rope, that means they're at a place, watch this, where they've been trying to do it on their own, and they are absolutely done. They're exhausted. They're, they have no more hope. I am done. It, it, it's the individual that has been fighting a sickness, and you've tried everything, you've done every remedy, every medicine, every doctor visit, you know, everything from Pinterest to oils to, you know, you're breaking up leaves and bathing in them like you're doing everything you can and nothing is changing and you're exhausted. You're, you're at the end of your rope. It, it's the parents <laughs> with young children, amen, right, <laughs> who, who are trying to live life while raising little children, and you're trying to keep the house clean, and you're trying to go to work, and you're trying to stay sane, and you're trying to have a, a love-filled marriage, and you're trying to live life while these snotty-nosed little demons, right? I'm kidding. Snotty-nosed, beautiful, God-blessed children are driving you crazy. And, and you, you've, you've all been there. If you have small kids or you have older kids, you remember the moment where it was like, I'm done. I would come home from work when we were in Memphis, and I would walk in the door, and Darla would be like, I'm done. Take them. And, and I had been at work all day, and I was, I was at the end of my rope at work, and we're both looking at each other, and we have no rope left. We're exhausted, right? We are, at, we, are, we are out of hope. We were poor in spirit. Now, normally, this concept of wanting to quit Normally, that would, that would not be a good place to be, right? I mean, let's be honest. Our culture looks down on you if you're a quitter. It's this concept, be strong, don't cry. You know, I, I grew up with those sayings, put, put your big boy pants on, right? You know, it's that concept of, hey, get it together, figure it out. Normally, it would not be a good thing to be in this concept of just quit. But Jesus says, watch this, blessed is the person who quits trying to do it on their own and realizes that they are in absolute need of God for every area of their life. We have a culture that says, no, no, you got to figure it out. You can't quit. And Jesus says, blessed is the one. Blessed are my children who decide, I can't do it. 
Blessed is the one who quits trying to do it. On the, Blessed is the one who realizes they'll never have a happy marriage without God. Blessed is the one who realizes they'll never have success in their finances without God. Blessed is the one who realizes they'll never be fulfilled, really, no matter how much achievement you have. You'll never be fulfilled without God. Blessed is the poor in spirit. The world tells us, watch this, when you're at the end of your rope, the world tells us to tie a knot in it and hang on for dear life, right? Just when you're as exhausted as you're going to be, hang on tighter, last longer. Jesus says, let go. Let go. The world says, hang on tight, tie a double knot, put your foot in the loop, do whatever you got to do to hang tight and fix it yourself. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who learns to let go. Blessed is the one who lives with a life motto of let go and let God. Go of it. Quit trying to do it on your own. I'll fix it. The world is all in this concept of you figure it out. And Jesus says that's not a blessed life. A blessed life is someone who realizes that they can let go. Now, that sounds great. But that's really difficult to do. It's really difficult to, number one, you don't have God physically with you like the disciples did. So it might have been a little bit easier for them. To at least they said, well, if I let go, you're responsible for it. But you don't have that. And guess what? Responsibility falls on you. Somebody's got to pay the bills. Somebody's got to raise the kids. Somebody's got to have that meeting, right? These kind of things. And it's really difficult for us to, we can preach and we can shout, pour in spirit, let go, let God. But it's really hard to do that. And so I figured the best thing I could do is give you a couple of reasons to help you be okay with flipping that feeling. That just to give you three ideas, three steps that would help you be able to take that feeling that pour in spirit is negative and be able to flip it. All right, so here's what we do. Number one, you, number one, you have to understand that we cannot fix our problems and our pain. In order for us to be able to see ourselves as blessed in this concept of pouring spirit, we have to understand that we cannot, we cannot, say this, say, I, I cannot, cannot fix my problem, my problem or, or heal, heal my pain. Was that freeing? Right? I mean, it, it, the world is doing everything it can to convince us to try to do everything we can to fix our own pain and our own problems, but Jesus, the world that you're in every day, the job you go to, the social media you hang out on, the family possibly that's surrounding you, the books that you're reading, everything is telling you that you should try your best to fix your problems and to fix your pain. To do anything but go to Jesus. We can read a book and learn how to fix it. You can watch a YouTube video and learn how to fix it, right? Take a pill and learn how to fix it. And that's fine if you're fixing your carburetor. But if you're fixing your marriage, maybe there's a point where you have to let go and let God. Maybe there's this moment where you realize that it can't be about me. Do you want to know the most exhausting feeling in the world? is to think it's your responsibility to fix it. That's exhausting to me. 
And I was thinking, why would the world do this? Why would we be in this culture that is constantly pushing us to figure it out on our own way? And here's why. Watch this. Most profound thing I'll say all day. As long as we think we can fix it, we won't surrender it all to Jesus. As long as there's something in us that thinks we can do it, as long as there's just one ounce of moment, well, well, if I make that phone call, it might fix it. Well, if I work a second job, it might fix it. Right? As long as we think there is some way that we can fix it, then we won't surrender it to Jesus. Here's how I know you're that way. Because I'm that way. And I'm very hard-headed in this way. For example, probably a year and a half or so ago, I started having this really bad pain in, my, in the tooth, my very back right tooth. And I can't stand the dentist for a lot of reasons. Number one, it hurts. Number two, it costs money, and those two things are not of God, right? So I'm just like, you know, don't want to do it. So I would do anything I could to be able to avoid the process of going to the dentist. So when this tooth started hurting, it was clear that it was a cavity. It, it had been that way for a while. It was bad. I should have went directly to the dentist, but I didn't want to because I knew I could fix it. And so I learned that it, it would always start to hurt when I ate food. So I learned that if I went to the bathroom and I brushed with warm water, it would stop the pain. I don't know why, don't know the system behind that, but maybe a nerve situation. But literally, I would eat food, and when I was done eating, it would start hurting, and we would either rush home from a restaurant, or if I was at home, I'd rush to the bathroom, brush my teeth real quick with warm, hot water, and the pain would be gone. And I'd be like, I'm good to go. We're fixed. Like, how stupid is that? You know what I mean? Like, you clearly have something wrong with you, bro. Like, you probably should fix that. And so I would do it, and I, this went on for months, me, me doing this to be able to fix it. And then eventually, brushing it didn't help it anymore. And so I did what every man of faith does. I went to the store and got a bunch of Orgel, right? And every time it would hurt, I would just squeeze Orgel down into the hole, and then it'd be fine. And this went on for months. For months, I was going through tubes of Orgel. I probably spent as much money as I would have at the dentist on Orgel. You know what I mean? And then eventually, the Orgel didn't get anymore. And at that moment, I did what any man of faith does. I called Chris. And I'm like, what do I do? You know? And Chris came out as the MacGyver that he is with all these different homemade remedies. I mean, I'm, I'm drinking, you know, never mind. I don't know what it is. I was going to make a joke, but y'all will leave the church if I make that joke. So, you know, it's all kinds of different stuff. At one point, he gave me a tea bag, and we had to soak the tea bag and put the tea bag on the tooth, and I had to bite down on the tooth. But it hurt so bad, I couldn't do it. And I'm going through all this stuff, and finally I come, I'm like, this, this, I, I got to do something. So it was snowing. It was a Saturday. And he rushes me to the dentist. Uh, we get to the dentist's office. I've told somebody all this story. And I'm sitting there waiting. He goes and puts ice in a plastic bag so that I could have, I'm sorry, snow in a plastic bag so I could have something. On my, and I get back there, and the dentist pulls the tooth, uh, and I preach the next day. Like, the pain was gone. Like, as soon as the, the tooth was out, I was good. And I thought, how stupid do I have to be? <laughs> I'm your pastor, and I'm telling you, I'm stupid. <laughs> For literally over a year, I went through this process because I could find ways to fix it. Even though there was a clear way to put it to rest, I kept finding, I didn't want to, do, I didn't want, as long as I could find a way. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. You know what's so funny? Every time I would either brush or, or put Orgel, 
And after it was done and it would stop, there'd be a moment of rest. But then I knew in my mind that it was still a problem. So when I would eat, I would start going like, ooh, am I going to mess it up? So even though the pain was different, I wasn't at rest. And what I hear Jesus saying is, look, when you're going through that, come to me, give it to me, and you can have rest because you can let go. You can trust that God's got it, right? When we are no longer using our strength to any capacity, when we give up and realize that we're not good enough or powerful enough to completely control our circumstances, then we are able to fully and completely rely on his power. And we arrive at a place where we are completely willing to give up our strength to be able to say, you know what, I can't do this. The hardest thing about that is pride. But when we get to that moment where we can say, I, I can't do this, then we get to a place where we can really rely on the power of God. The Beatitudes, the whole concept, 1 through 10, it's a beautiful reminder that it's our very weakness and our lack that makes room for the fullness of God's grace in our lives. It's your weakness. It's the fact that you're not strong enough. It's the fact that you can't do it on your own that makes room for God's grace. For you to be able to accept the fact that being poor in spirit, having nothing at all, giving up, is a blessing, you have to understand that you can't do anything to fix your problems or your pain. The moment you realize that, you'll quit trying so hard. Number two, we have purpose beyond our poor. When I tell you poor in spirit, it's easy to receive that and go, I go, I guess I'm just without. You know, Christianity's gotten a bad rep. People think that if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be without, you're going to be poor, you're going to have no fun, you know, all these kinds of things. But this concept of being poor in spirit does not mean that you're just going on without. There's more to it. There's purpose behind it. The Beatitudes in, in themselves, watch this, are challenging us to look at our situation differently. That's the whole purpose of it, to look at it differently. Jesus is not sugarcoating hopelessness, but inviting us to see it as a way into the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? The Beatitudes, this whole concept, is for you and I to look at our current situation differently. It's to look at something that we would have called negative and see it as positive. And it's not, Jesus is not trying to, you know, if we're not careful, Christianity moves into this realm of like, oh, just get over it. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not sugarcoating the fact that you're hurting. He's not ignoring the fact that you're hopeless. He's just saying you can't do anything about it. So if you give it up and give it to Jesus, true life change happens. We will never depend on something when we don't believe we are in need of it. As long as we don't think we need Jesus, we'll never fully depend on it. So blessed is the one who realizes they need God. Can I tell you the worst thing that happened through 2020? And I'm not belittling those that lost lives and got sick and businesses. I understand that that was very bad. But I think what's even worse than that is it moved our culture into believing we can, we can survive on our own. It got us to a place where we didn't feel like we were in need anymore. We're not desperate. In our culture, we know enough 
to know that we cannot do it on our own. But watch this. This is so good. But we're not desperate enough yet to surrender it all. I don't, I don't know what happened, but we moved into this realm where we thought, you know what? We got this. We're good. I got enough. And as long as we think we have enough, we'll never move into a desperate enough realm to need Jesus. Darla and I go to missions trips. We went on missions trips. Uh, you know, we're still working on our one to Costa Rica as soon as everything works out. But we were in Belize. And we're going through Belize, y'all. And these people don't have, uh, they have like concrete walls, no, no roof, no windows, no air conditioner. Some of the kids we were with had no shoes. And I've never met a happier group of people. They were so happy to have a rugged soccer ball. And they're running around. They don't have shirts on. Their food is like a little bit of rice. And I'm not talking about like, oh, this is the poor. No, this is just the normal people that live in Costa Rica. This was just kind of their normal. I'm not sorry, not Costa Rica, Belize. This was just their normal life. But they were so happy. <laughs> they were without. They were poor, but they were blessed. Because when you think you have it all, you don't know you're in need. And you're missing out on the best thing because you don't think you need it. We would have church. These people would walk for miles to come. We had a tent set up, no air conditioner. It was in the hundreds degrees, and these people would be on the front row worshiping God. They were so excited. They were so excited to be there because they were poor in spirit. I would tell you, people would say, well, they're poor financially. I, I think we're the ones that are worse off because the more stuff I have, the more I think I can fix my situation and the longer it takes me to hit my knees and surrender to Jesus. And when you have nothing, right? Watch this. When you learn that God is all we have, we learn God is all we need. And that's what had happened in those countries. I think I told you all this story. One time I got done preaching, and this guy was chasing me. I thought he was going to kill me. He was following me. It was so awkward. They called me off the bus to go meet him, and I thought, oh, y'all sending me to the wolves. He's about to kill me. He wanted me to sign his Bible. I thought, first of all, do I go to hell for this? Like, can you? I don't know if I can sign that. But my second question was like, why? He loved the preaching of the word so much. We're in a culture today, y'all, where people are not hungry for God. They don't think they need him because they think they can fix it on their own. And so people aren't desperately running to Jesus. And when you meet someone who realizes, I can't do it. I've got nothing. I'm poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven because they're knocking down the door. They're hitting their knees. They're hungry for Jesus because they realize that without Jesus, they're nothing. Number three is we don't save ourselves. Before you can ever save someone, they have to first realize they need to be saved. Right? Watch what's happening in the days of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees, the religious people of that day, would have considered themselves rich in spirit. They would have said to you that they are superior. They would have walked around with prestige because they believed that their faith, their salvation, their hope was in them. It was about how well they performed. So when you talk to them, they were rich in spirit. 
right. They were rich in the fact that I am this. Look at me. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm rich in spirit. But Jesus comes around and flips it. And he elevates those that are hopeless. And he elevates those that are desperation. And he elevates those who recognize they need the grace of God. And he says, while you're walking around celebrating the fact that you're rich in spirit, it's the poor in spirit. It's the poor in spirit that are rich. I told you before that uh, we sent Casey Ray, my youngest, into that infant swimming class. You know what I mean? And it was really tough, but it, but it worked. But I'll never forget this. The first time I went, they threw Casey Ray in the water, literally, and she went underwater, and she popped back up, and she started swimming. And here's what they taught her, that when she got tired, just to turn on her back and float. And this is what she, literally what she was doing. And the Lord brought that back to my remembrance this week because I thought, you know what? There's a room full of people who were swimming. And God's saying, just, just turn on your back and just float. And recognize that you aren't as bad as you think you are. But you're also not as good as you think you are. Realize that you don't have what it takes. Let go and let God get to a point where you can release. We are naturally inclined to try to do everything on our own efforts instead of desperately begging Jesus for his. When we realize we have nothing to offer God, we can run into the open arms of a gracious God. I told you at the beginning that I felt like this was the foundational uh, feeling or, or beatitude of the, of the ones he preaches. And here's why. Darla and I are in Cleveland, Ohio. We had gone to a restaurant. The restaurant's back in like this hotel. We are eating, we're done eating, and now we're gonna go explore this particular area of Cleveland. And she says, where do you wanna go first? And I said, I don't know, let me look into my GPS map and we'll see what's around and we'll head that way. And I opened up the GPS map and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the building we were in, but it couldn't pinpoint where we were. Y'all seen this before, it's just like a big circle, but it couldn't tell me exactly where we were. And so because it was a big circle, there was no street signs, there was no restaurants, no retail stores. It was just this wide view. And I kept working with her, kept working. She's like, you know, she was like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And I said, hold on. I, I can't tell you where we're going to go because I don't really know where we are. Right? Like, I don't, I don't know where we are, so I don't know if we should go left. I don't know if we should go right. And here's what I think Jesus is saying. Before you ever are able to manage your feelings, before you're able to really process through some of these other things Christ is going to talk about, you've got to have one thing certain. And that one thing is is that you need Jesus. That you're nothing without him. That it's not about you, it's about him. This concept to you be able to get to a place where you are poor in spirit. Listen, in a religious world, poor in spirit is bad. Jesus says you're blessed because you recognize that I can't do anything without God. I think it's his way of reaffirming Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which says this. It's for by grace, by grace, that you've been saved through faith. I love this. And this is not your own doing. You don't save yourself. You never will. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When you're rich in spirit, you're boasting about what you've done. 
when you're poor in spirit, you realize that it's all what God did because you could have never done it. And I'm just telling you, before we even move forward in this series, this is the one we got to get right. This is the one we have to understand that you desperately need Jesus. You can't do it on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. You're not good enough. But guess what? It doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you're blessed. Because for once in your lifetime, you get to actually let go and know that it's going to be okay. Because he's God. And it's by him, not by you. Do me a favor. Would you stand with me for a moment? Team, you can go ahead and come up if you want. I do want to, Chris, I want to invite a couple people down just to be able to leave for prayer. I want to pray over you, but I want to give you the opportunity to have personal prayer if you need it. Because again, when you start talking about this concept, there's somebody in here right now, you've lived your entire Christian walk thinking that it was based off of your works and your ability, and that's wrong. You'll never be good enough. But Christ was, and he is. And if there was ever a theme for your walk with the Lord, it should be poor in spirit. At the end of your rope, nothing at all. Jesus, I surrender all. Remember that hymn? I surrender all. Y'all so lucky I can't sing. do that for a second. Just real quick. I'm sorry. Close your eyes. Can we just take a moment, however you would do that. You can put your arms in the air. You can leave them, whatever. Can we just take a moment and surrender everything, whatever it is you're dealing with right now, can we surrender it to Jesus? Father, I pray right now for that mom that's in this room. She's at the end of her rope. I pray right now, Father, that she would surrender. For that marriage, they're at the end of their rope that they would surrender. That young man that's trying to find purpose at the end of the road, that they would surrender. That individual that is dealing with a health scare. That individual that still has pain from past experiences. Father, you know every person in this room and you know what they're dealing with. They've all got something. Andrea said it at the beginning of service, everybody's dealing with The question is whether or not we're going to give it to you or try to do it ourselves. So Father, we surrender right now everything to you. Pray for every person in this room. Every woman, every man, every couple, every child, every grandparent. this would be a moment of being set free. That they would be letting go of this rope in their mind. If you're in here and you need specific prayer, we've got people who want to pray with you. I'm going to pray 
just kind of a closed prayer. And when I say amen, our worship team will start singing. And I want to invite you down for that. If you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, you'd like to give your heart to Christ, be saved through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you can do that today. The Bible says believe in your heart, confess in your mouth. You can do that with one of these prayer partners this morning. Don't leave. This is one of those opportunities to set something free. Don't you walk out of here with it. Let the Spirit of God minister to your heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you address what we're dealing with today. Thank you that you are a deliverer, a healer, a provider, a protector. Thank you that we're not relying on ourselves, but we're relying on you. Have your way in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say